There is one story that stands out as the greatest story ever told. In this story, you and I aren't just made to feel like participants, we are characters within the story. We are the characters, our world is the setting, and the plot is broken down into five acts. Act one, creation. Act two, rebellion. Act three, rescue. Act four, communion. Act five, celebration. The conflict occurs in the first act, the resolution is introduced in act three and continues through the present and into the future. The greatest story ever told is the story of God and us. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to be sure to welcome those of you that are joining us from the West Campus and also those people that are joining us online. Now, the people that are joining us online, you all might recognize me. That The people here on the Newburgh Campus and those of you at West, you, you may have seen me in the background but may not know who I am. My name is Andy Tier, and I'm the media director here at Crossroads. Now, my family and I have been part of Crossroads for 11 years now. I have served with a media team that full-time seven years as a volunteer and then about four and a half years now as the director of this ministry. Now, when we came to Evansville, I was a retail store manager. But before that, I had worked at a small church, or well, smaller church <laughs> in Alton, Illinois. And that's where I met my wife, Wendy. Wendy and I have been married for 23 years now. She loves having her picture shown. There she is. So this is literally one of two pictures of my wife that I have on my phone. <laughs> so, yeah. But um, we've been married for 23 years. We have three kids now. I've got a daughter that's 20. Um, she's attending Ball State. Uh, I've got two sons that are 18 and 17. One's taking a gap year, kind of giving us a little bit of a break before he starts school. And then my, my third child, my youngest son, is a senior at Castle High School right now. So next year I'll have three kids old enough to be in college. So um, later we'll talk about prayer <laughs> and, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take some of that. That'd be cool, all right? Now, right now you, you may have a couple questions. I've introduced myself, but you may still be wondering, you know, what, why, why is Chris Kringle sharing with us today? Why is... Colonel Sanders up here on the stage talking to me this morning, right? Well, as the media director, um, th this message this week relates very directly to my job and what I do here at Crossroads. Now, typically what I do is I work with a group of artists. It's the guys that are running sound, it's the video team, it's the people that do lighting, and we're using every technology available to us to spread the gospel, to spread the good news of Jesus to as many people as we can reach. Now lately though, that has specifically come to focus on our online offerings, right? On our online presence. So lately my job, I've been trying my best to, to help grow our online audience into this viable church community. See, where we were before, at the church that I worked at in Illinois, we had a small, we had a low power television station. I helped, I helped get that launched, get that started. With that television station, we could reach 30,000 homes, not necessarily 30,000 people, but 30,000 homes. And then eventually you got carried on cable in that area. And then it went, it went beyond that. But what's really cool 
about what we're doing here at Crossroads and now with the internet is that our signal, being this service is shared over social media, it's shared on our website, it's shared through our church app. Anybody with a connected device anywhere in the world can worship with us at Crossroads. So instead of 30,000 or 150,000 people, our reach is nearly limitless. It's amazing. It's, it's such an honor to be alive and serving in this time and in this place. And to think that we can reach people in Africa and South America. There's people in Italy that tune in. Uh, there's people that watch us in the UK. There's people in Canada. There's people in Kentucky that will watch us. I, it's pretty amazing. It's really cool, the reach that we can have from here. Now, a couple of things we've been doing with this online audience, though, is in, in February, we started sharing it on social media, February of 2017. Now, this past Easter, we started hosting our services live. So every time a host comes out on our West Campus, here on our Newburgh Campus, there's also somebody upstairs that comes out online and is speaking directly with that congregation and helping them engage with what's happening, engage with the worship. We have people that are there to chat with them live and we have people that are there to pray as well. So if you are joining us online, if you're joining us at live.cccgo.com, you can click the blue live prayer button and we have people that are there to pray with you right now to meet your prayer needs in this instant. Okay, that's a one-on-one -on -one prayer. It's a private prayer, all right? These things were not, it, we weren't even capable of, the, capable of this a few years ago. We're just blessed to be living in this time where we can do these things. Three weeks ago, we did something to me that's, that's even cooler than that is we launched our first online small group. And I'm really excited about this. Our first online small group is being led by a volunteer. Her name is Roxanne Hall. She's a fantastic lady of God. She's, she's so cool. And she's stepping up and she's doing this. And, and she's, kind of, she's kind of a guinea pig in this. But she's just making herself available to God in this moment. And it's being blessed. It's so awesome to see the people in this small group community that's formed, praying for one another, sharing what they've learned, and growing together as parts of the body of Christ. So what we're trying to do with this online community is literally remove every barrier to people's participating within the church of God. So if you're restricted by your ability to, to get out into somebody's home on a weekly basis, or if, if you can't even get out of a hospital bed, if you're in some type of special care, there's a reason that you can't get out of the home we're doing our best to bring that growth, that ability to you. We're trying to remove every one of those barriers with these online small groups. So please pray with us over these coming weeks. If you need to join a small group, please do that. You can join the online small group and we'll be starting more. It's already growing past what we had expected in the first three weeks. So it's fantastic. But all of this to say that our online audience is becoming much more than that. They're, be, they're becoming an, a viable online church community. And it's really exciting. Now in our sermon series, The Story of God and Us, as we were looking at the weeks that were coming up, they, they asked me if I would like to share in one of these weeks. And I, I picked this one. I was like, give me communion. Give me community. Give me the one on fellowship because that's what I'm fired up about. And that's what I feel like I could share 
hopefully, effectively about on that week coming up. So that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about communion or fellowship. Three weeks ago, we started with this journey. We started talking about God's creation. Andrew Bondurant shared. It was a brilliant message talking to us about God's perfect picture for his relationship between him and man. The next week though, Bill Altman shared another fantastic message. But in this message, he talked about the rebellion of mankind. Some people call it the fall of mankind, but Bill pointed out that it was a willful act of disobedience. He talked about the three lies that sin whispers into our ear. Now, last week, Ross was up here and Ross shared a message called the rescue. Ross talked about how the sacrifice of Jesus Christ paid for that sin that came into the world through Adam. So in the first two weeks, we were in the Garden of Eden. That third week, we were on the hill of Golgotha. This week, the scene changes once again. This week, we're in Acts chapter two. We're in the city of Jerusalem, and we're gonna talk about the launch of a revolution that would literally change the world. All right, so if you would, join me in Acts chapter two, We're gonna start though with verses 43 through 47. Now Luke is writing here and he says this. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, this is the picture of a healthy, vibrant, spirit-filled New Testament church. So the signs of this church, as we go through this, they're broken down into six different aspects of this church. First is visible signs of God working through his people. Second is this fellowship, this unity, this communion of believers, all right? That overflowed into generosity. That's the third sign of this healthy church. The fourth is community. It talks about how the church gathered together in the temple courts and they gathered in their homes, right? The fifth is reputation. Talks about how the church enjoyed the favor of all the people. That's the entire city of Jerusalem. The sixth is the natural outflow of all of this. And it's the most exciting, it's multiplication. It says in this scripture that God added to their number daily those who were being saved. These six signs are really exciting. And you might ask, why are we starting here? Why are we starting with this? Why are we starting with the picture of the healthy church? Well, I've got to tell you, before you start on any journey, it's really important that you have a clear picture of your destination. I learned this for myself, back in 1991, I was uh, just getting out of the military. I had served in the US Army. I, was, I served in the Gulf War. And while I was there, I met some people from a reserve unit down in San Antonio. So when I got back, it was right at the end of my time in service. So I had all these weeks of leave built up because you know you can't take a break in the desert. Like there's no, like we didn't use leave there. So I had all this time saved up. So I come back and I think, man, it'd be great to visit my friends down in San Antonio. So I I lived in St. Louis. I I packed all my stuff, I threw it in my truck and I head out on the road. And I think, I can can find my way to San Antonio. I'll use the the highway signs. Because what I forgot to do, what I didn't even think to do was grab a map. 
it was 1991. So smartphones and GPS, were, were bare, they weren't even a thing at this point, right? So I, 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 because I didn't have a map, I, I just headed out. I knew I had to go south and west. I, I've got like a general idea of the geography of the United States from St. Louis to Texas, southwest. So I get on Highway 44 outside of St. Louis. I'm, I'm going down 44. I go kind of near Tulsa and then Oklahoma City. And then outside of Oklahoma City, I run into a problem because the highway splits here and the sign has two cities listed on it. It says Dallas and Amarillo. San Antonio was nowhere on the sign. So I'm thinking, what do I know about the geography of the great state of Texas? You know, so I'm racking my brain. I actually had to pull the truck over on the side of the highway and, and I'm, I'm looking at the sign and I'm thinking, gosh, Andy, what, what do you know about Texas? So I'm racking my brain. The only thing that came to my mind is this country Western song by George Strait. And it, it's called Amarillo by Morning. And the lyrics go, Amarillo by morning up from San Antonio. Everything that I've got is all that I've got on. It's, it's about uh, like a rodeo cowboy or something. So I think Amarillo, I'm going to Amarillo. It's north of San Antonio. So I start heading down Highway 40 towards, towards Amarillo, right? So I'm driving down the road and there's this thing in my mind. It's just like messing with me. And then finally I, I, it hits me. I'm like, Andy, you're basing a life decision on a country and Western song. I don't even like country western. It's the only song I knew. So I'm thinking, what do I know about country western music? Most of what I know, knew about it at the time was that it was, it was kind of sad and it dealt with a lot of loss. I mean, there's nothing in it that I wanted to base a life decision upon. Jesus Take the Wheel hadn't even been written yet. Now, that's the other country song I know, right? So uh, I, I, I pull into the gas station, I buy a map, I come out, I sit in the car, I open the map, I look at it. Amarillo is 360 miles out of the way. It, it, the drive from St. Louis to San Antonio was a 14 hour drive. I almost made it into a 20 hour drive by going to Amarillo first. So ironically, I look at the way these highways are set up. The, to get to San Antonio, I had to go through Dallas. So I had to turn around, drive back. I had to drive through the Dallas-Fort Worth area to finally reach my destination of San Antonio. But I learned the hard way. It's really important that you have a good, clear picture of your destination before you take off on a journey, right? Even better, what if you have a roadmap? A roadmap makes all the difference in the world. So that's what we're gonna look at today. We're gonna start a little bit earlier in Acts chapter two. And we're gonna look at the roadmap. We're gonna look at what this Church of Acts did in order to exhibit these six healthy signs, okay? So in Acts chapter two, to put it in proper context, just the chapter before, Jesus had been talking to his disciples in one of his last times speaking with them and he told them, hey, I'm getting ready to leave. When I leave, you stay in the city of Jerusalem until my, God, until my father pours out the gift of the Holy Spirit on you. He says, don't go anywhere until this happens. This is the first step on your journey. You have to wait until you're blessed with the Holy Spirit. So in Acts chapter two, verses one through four, 
this is where we see that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So these scriptures in Acts chapter two, verses one through four, tell us about this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They tell us that it came down in the form of flames above each of these people's heads and then that they began to speak in other languages. These were real languages they were speaking in. Jerusalem, if you noticed, this is the time of Pentecost. This is a festival. It's 50 days after the Passover. It's the first fruits festival. It's where people bring all of the first fruits of their crops to God, right? So there's people from all over the known world that are here in Jerusalem at this time. So there's people that speak multiple languages that are here. So as these people, as, as these followers of Christ are filled with the Holy Spirit, they begin to speak in other languages. They go out into the city and they're talking to people about Jesus, but they're talking to them in their own languages. And people are amazed by this, but there's a group of people that see this and they think these people are drunk. They're just confused by it. So Peter, Peter steps out and Peter says this. He says, these men are not drunk as you suppose. This is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. This is where the spirit of God is being poured out on all flesh. Then Peter goes on as he's talking to these people and he starts talking about other Old Testament prophecies. He helps the people in this place put on their Jesus specs. He helps them look at the lens of Old Testament. He helps them look at Old Testament prophecy through the lens of Jesus Christ and shows them that Jesus Christ was their promised Messiah. He tells them that Jesus was the son of God. He was the Messiah they had been waiting for. But then Peter hits them with this. Seven weeks ago, this is the man that you killed. So these people are, of course, they're taken aback. They're struck to their core, right? So in Acts chapter two, they ask Peter, what is it that we do then? In, in Acts 2, verses 38 and 39, Peter tells them, he says this, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all the Lord will call. So these people are asking, what do they have to do? What's the first step on their journey? What's the Dallas they have to go through in order to get to their San Antonio, right? So Peter tells them, you need to repent. You must be baptized and then God will fill you with his spirit, right? So that's the first step on this journey. Now in Acts chapter two, verse 41, we see that 3,000 people were added to the number of believers that day. That's, that's a fantastic altar call, isn't it? 3,000 people added to the number of believers that day. In Acts 2.42, though, we see the next steps on our journey. Now, I call these the four keys to good health. And they're found in this scripture. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So right here, we see four keys to a healthy, spirit-filled highly motivated, highly effective New Testament church. These four keys are the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. Now, 
don't get mixed up though. What, these are not sequential steps. When we see these four keys, you've got to realize that all four of these keys must be present for this spirit-filled, healthy New Testament church, right? These are like the wheels on a vehicle. So if, if you're in a car and you have three wheels, like you can kind of limp along, right? You can eventually get to your destination, but no one's having fun on that ride, right? And, and better yet, there's not a lot of people that are gonna wanna jump on board, you know? So all four of these keys have to be present. Now, we're gonna take a closer look at each one of these keys. The first key we're gonna talk about is the apostles' teaching. Now, what does this mean? It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, the apostles' teaching is pr- pretty much the whole Bible, right? <laughs> So it's, it's, it's a big chunk of knowledge, but it, it, the focus is in the New Testament where the apostles actually wrote letters to the church. And, and you can see in, throughout all of the apostles' teachings, you could, I, I did my best to kind of break it down into just like a few simple blocks of teaching to make it digestible for myself. The first thing that I see that the apostles taught is that Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy. The apostles teach us to look at the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus Christ. If we put on these Jesus spectacles, we look at the history, we look at the prophets, we look at the law, we'll see that all of it points to Jesus Christ as our savior. It all points to Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah, the son of God, right? So that was the first thing that the apostles taught. They also taught salvation. They taught us to repent and be baptized. They taught us that if we believe in Christ, and confess our sins, and if we're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that he, he's gonna come into our lives. He's gonna live in us and work through us. The Holy Spirit is the catalyst we need in every phase of our life. Now, the next thing they taught was how to live this Christian life. They taught us how to love God and how to love others. They taught us how to live every day of the week, how to worship, how to pray, but, but even better, how to do business, how to be a good employee, how to be a spouse, how just to be a friend, right? So all of this is encapsulated within the apostles' teaching. Next, they taught us about the imminent return of Jesus. Uh, they, they, they teach about heaven and the afterlife. All of this is found within the scriptures. It's amazing that we have this wealth of knowledge available to us And in our personal study of it, the Holy Spirit is there working in us and working through us throughout all of this, revealing things to us as we study these scriptures. In my own life, about 20 something years ago, I was working at this church in Illinois I told you about. I was really involved within their youth group. Um, I, I did some other things within the church as well. But one of the things we did is, one of my friends and I, we started a musical group. And I wrote a lot of the lyrics, and, but I, I love to study the Bible. So what I would do is use my Bible studies to, to glean my lyrics for the songs we were writing at the time. I was kind of killing two birds with one stone. So at the time, one of the things I was trying to learn about was the Trinity. And so I was doing this New Testament study on the Trinity. I was looking at scriptures in Galatians 5 and then in Ephesians, in Ephesians 4 especially, and throughout the rest of the book of Ephesians. As I was studying this, I thought, man, the, the book of Ephesians is almost entirely about 
how God works through the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but yet one being. And so I was writing these lyrics, and some of it was coming from Galatians, and, and as I was seeing these, these words were jumping out, at my, out of the page, off the page at me, it was the, the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit. The works of the flesh are like sexual immorality and impurity and idolatry, witchcraft and hatred, discord and jealousy, There's fits of rage and selfish ambitions, drunkenness, orgies, factions and dissensions. These are all contrary to the nature of the spirit. And the person that lives in them is never going to inherit the kingdom of God that's been promised to me because I live by the spirit and the spirit's living in me. Step by step, I stay in stride with the Holy Spirit and the fruits are brought forth in my rhymes so you can hear it. My sinful nature has been crucified, nailed to the cross, nailed to the cross, so I can't be tossed to and fro as a wave. In the sea of life, I'm speaking the truth in love as I grow up in Christ. From him, the whole body, supported by every ligament, grows and builds upon love, it's the church and I am living. And I'm an imitator of God, living my life and love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering to G-O-D well glory hallelujah and hosanna to the trinity so yeah so it, it was a rap group that, that, that we were doing and uh yeah but when I initially studied those scriptures all, all I saw was the trinity and the workings of the trinity now the Holy Spirit reveals new things to me through those same scriptures. It reveals the workings of the church, how the whole church, supported by every ligament, grows and builds up in love. That's the church. That's what we're living in, right? So the Holy Spirit is with us throughout our study of the scriptures. Now, that verse in Acts 2:42 though, says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So what does that mean? Devotion is not simply knowledge or figuring out how to make it rhyme or anything like that. Devotion, devotion requires that we actually apply it in our lives. So this first key, devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, demands that we not just learn the scripture, but that we also apply it in our lives, okay? The second thing the early church devoted themselves to was fellowship. Fellowship was a little, was, it was a little bit of a struggle for me as I started to study this. And the reason is because I like things to come to me easy, <laughs> you know? It's just a natural inclination of mine. So I, I grab a concordance and, and I think, I'm gonna look up this word fellowship. I'm gonna see what the word is in Greek and I'm gonna see where else it's used in the Bible. And then I'll use that context to figure out what is meant by fellowship in this scripture, right? So I look up the word and the word itself is this in the Greek, koinonia, right? So as I look through these scriptures in 2 Corinthians 9 and in Hebrews 13, this word koinonia appears, but it's interpreted as sharing. In Romans 15, it's interpreted as contribution. In Philippians, and and the first chapter, it's partnership. In Philippians 3, it's participation. So each time I looked at this, I realized there's not a single English word in the English language that's a direct correlation to koinonia, right? So... I needed to come up with a definition. So for the definition, I went through the concordance, I went to Merriam-Webster, and through these scriptures that were there, and this is what I came up with. Koinonia is a spiritual and participative sharing. This is ourselves and our possessions with other Christians and with God. Okay, so koinonia is a spiritual thing. It's, it's, Also, it's sharing, though, ourselves and our possessions. Koinonia cannot be done alone, 
all right? Paul's benediction at the end of 2 Corinthians tells us where koinonia originates. In that scripture, it says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This word fellowship that's highlighted in this, in this verse was actually koinonia in the Greek. Koinonia comes from the Holy Spirit. I told you before that the Holy Spirit is the catalyst we need for every aspect of our Christian walk, right? Well, you'll see in all four of these aspects, all four of these keys of a healthy church, the Holy Spirit must be present. We've got to have God's presence in our lives in order for this to work. Now, this actual application of this, the practical application of this participative sharing that I speak about means this. It means that we've got to be generous with ourselves. That means our time and our possessions. Both are gifts from God. If we think otherwise, we're completely wrong, right? But even still, what does this really look like? It means that we've got to use our God-given gifts in service to the church and service with the church as the church takes the good news of Jesus Christ outside of these walls. So every person, whether you're on the West Campus or online, if you're here at Newburgh, you have a God-given gift inside of you. God has placed gifts inside of you. And now you need to take those gifts and then invest them in service in the church and service with the church. You would be amazed at the different gifts that God is able to use. Things that you would never think that he could use might be exactly what the church needs in this moment. Just like a week ago, I was, I was out there talking to somebody and, and before this conversation, I had been thinking to myself, with everything that we're doing online, how cool would it be if I knew somebody that knew just a little bit about web marketing? Because that would really play into this really well. And so I'm talking to somebody and I, I'm asking them like, hey, so what are you doing when you're not here? Oh, I've got a web marketing business. I, 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 thank you, Jesus, right? So here's a guy that, I mean, he's serving in a different capacity in the church. He was serving within the church, working with, with kids' church. But the thing is, he has other gifts within him as well that God is able to use to get this gospel message outside of these four walls. And you don't even know until you've asked, like take what you know that what fires you up, what excites you, you know what gifts are placed inside of you. Ask somebody how they can be used before you decide that they can't you might be surprised. It's amazing the gifts that God can take and use and then how God will multiply those gifts once you begin to apply them in his service. Now, the third thing that the New Testament church devoted themselves to was the breaking of bread. Now, the breaking of bread can be interpreted a couple different ways, but here it's being used to reference the Lord's Supper. Now, here at Crossroads, we call this communion which is really convenient for me because that's what I'm teaching on. So I like it that it, when that word falls into right, right in line with the service. But um, how do we devote ourselves to communion or to the Lord's Supper? Well, we've got to ask ourselves what it represents, right? So the Lord's Supper is this remembrance of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice and his ministry here on earth. Last week, Ross shared with us from the platform that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the cross, rescued us from sin, shame, Satan, and ourselves. We must fully understand that Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient to cover 
all of our sins. We've got to be able to look at our own past through the lens of Jesus Christ. Just as we're looking at the scriptures, look at your own past through the lens of Jesus Christ and realize that he has eliminated that sin. It's no longer on the ledger, right? It's forgiven and it's forgotten. Now, another aspect of communion and another thing that it represents is unity. Now, in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 17, Paul says this to the church. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. So again, we've highlighted a word, participation. Both times this word is translated from the Greek word koinonia again. So this koinonia, this participative sharing, this gift from the Holy Spirit is also present in times of communion. What this verse is saying to us though is that we must remember in our times of communion that that blood and that bread that we share binds us together in unity as brothers and sisters in Christ. Every one of us, every one of us that's in attendance today, whether here on one of our campuses or online, you're part of this body of Christ and you need to be unified with it, locking arms together, lifting each other up as we grow together in Jesus Christ. The purpose of the Lord's Supper reminds us of our relationship to God, but it also reminds us of our relationship to one another. Now, the fourth thing that the early church devoted themselves to was prayer. Now, Jesus provided us of an example of the perfect prayer. The Lord's prayer is found in Matthew chapter six. And it goes like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So there's five aspects to this prayer that have been broken down by theologians over the years. Men a lot smarter than me have been studying this. And this is the way they break it down. The first part of this prayer is this time of worship. They also call this adoration, our Father God who art in heaven. And that's one of the types of prayer. Next is this time of surrender. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This is where we surrender our will to God's will. Prayer is not the time where we bend God's will to ours. Prayer is the time where we align our will with his, right? Now, this is called consecration. Now, next is this time of expressing need. The Christian slang for this is supplication. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, fourth is our prayer for forgiveness and our relationship with others. We call this the prayer of intercession. The fifth part is this prayer of deliverance. God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, so now we know the example of the perfect prayer. But in Romans chapter eight, Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit is with us in this aspect of our lives as well. Paul tells us that when we don't know what to pray for, that the Holy Spirit will intercede for us. So what does devoting ourselves to prayer look like? It's, it's not 30 seconds before the three meals you eat each day. It's not just praying every time you have a tummy ache, you know? It, it's actually this, it's this daily purposeful time that we set aside to speak with our heavenly father. Jesus Christ exhibited this himself throughout the gospels, okay? So now we've looked at each of the four things 
that the new believers or the followers of Christ devoted themselves to in order to grow into the church that we see in the book of Acts. What I'd like to do now is go back and I wanna look at those six signs of this healthy church. But this time when I look at it, what I want you to do is picture yourself and picture crossroads in each one of these, in each one of these six aspects. Okay, so the first of these aspects is visible signs. So now picture our church visibly demonstrating the power and the love of God in our community, in our country and across the globe. So what does it look like, right? What does it look like? It, it, I can tell you it's happening right now. Crossroads teams with ministry partners in our city, across the country and around the world in order to share the love of God with people everywhere. But now picture yourself as part of it. Picture every person present, either now or virtually, right, later. Um, picture yourself participating in this. What does this mean for the capabilities? What does this mean for the outreach, the, the gospel as it goes forth? It's a fantastic picture if you really think about it. Our strategic outreach team would be ecstatic to know that every person that's involved with Crossroads is participating in this. The, the next piece is fellowship. Imagine what that looks like if every one of us is linking arms, like I said earlier. The, the, the cool thing is when we do that, the natural outflow is generosity. What generosity looks like in this picture is each one of us using our talents and our God-given gifts in support of our church family or with our church family as we take the good news outside of this church. The, the fourth is this gathering or community. It's the 70 minutes or so that we spend in here each week, but it's also the, the, the small group time that you spend. So picture yourself involved in a small group. If you can't find one that you can participate in because of physical limitations, just whether it be time, distance, or if it's like that you're physically incapable of doing it, then join an online small group. Like I said, we're trying to remove every barrier so that everybody can participate in small group community. The fifth is this great reputation. Now lately, it seems like this might be the most elusive of the six signs for the church really worldwide, right? As people outside look at the church. But, but here's what I wanna say, is, is if we observe those four keys, if, if we're committed to those four keys, we can't pursue a great reputation, but as we commit ourselves to those four keys of a healthy church, a great reputation is gonna be the natural outcome of it. And then we'll also see another outcome and that is multiplication. As God adds to the number of people in this church daily. So look around and look at the seats around you. There's empty seats on both of our campuses. There's people that you can share this story with online too. So there's plenty of opportunity for everybody to share the good news of Jesus Christ. These seats are evidence of our, of our need to do this, to devote ourselves to these four signs or, the, or these, these four keys. Now, the purpose of today's message isn't just to teach us a little bit about the Holy Spirit or talk to us about what we would like to see Crossroads accomplish. See, my purpose in this sermon today is so hopefully, prayerfully inspire you to take action. Take the next step in your Christian walk. Some of you might need to take the first step in your Christian walk. If you need to take the first step in your Christian walk, if you need to repent, if you need to ask God to come into your life, then please, I encourage you, make that choice 
today. It's the best first step on a journey you'll ever take. Now, some of us have already taken that step. So for us, our next step looks like those four keys that we must devote ourselves to. The first was not just learning scripture, but applying it. The second was devoting ourselves to participating within this body of believers. The third was that breaking of bread. That's remembering and recognizing the sufficiency, the efficacy, the power of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now this room is full of people that have failed at some point in their lives. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we can't stay there. We've got to move past our past. We've got to look, put on those Jesus specs, look at our past, our present, and our future through the lens of Jesus Christ. His sacrifice, his grace is greater than, than any of our weaknesses. His spirit lives in you. It's a source of comfort, but it's also a source of power. It's the same power. It's literally the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Now, the life story of the Christians in this room, it's not defined by their failures, but instead by the victories that Christ has worked in their lives. We must view our lives through those lenses. We've gotta, we've, we've gotta remember that that sacrifice of Jesus Christ relates us not only to the Father, but then we also must be unified and lifting each other and supporting each other and be a unified body of believers within this church. Lastly, we've all got to devote ourselves to prayer. We've got to spend time daily speaking to God, praying for ourselves and our families, but also praying for our church family, this family that we have in Christ. Now, throughout this sermon series, uh, we've been seeing how our individual stories fit into this bigger story of God in us. We are, we're never in this alone, right? Now our story is one thread in a tapestry or a tapestry. My wife hunted a tapestry in our, in our home this past week and I saw it and this just came to life for me that our story is one thread in that tapestry. If we focus on that one thread, then we're completely wrong. Our life was never meant to be lived alone. From the very beginning, from the dawn of creation, Mankind was meant to be in communion with God. So if we focus on that one string, we're wrong. But if we take that one string, we intertwine it with God. And then we're woven together with this body of believers, a tapestry forms. It's this fantastic picture. And that picture that forms is the story of God in us. It's a beautiful picture. I'm so inspired by it. And I just pray that you are as well. I pray that you want to be just more and more part of this story. Now, next week, Andrew Bondurant is gonna close out this series. His message is called Celebration. And I promise you, you, you don't wanna miss it. In a minute, our hosts are gonna come out on both of our campuses and our host is gonna come out online too. And they're gonna talk to you about opportunities for prayer. If you've decided to take that first step, if you need somebody to pray with you, there are people available for that. If you need to take your next step, you've already taken the first step, but you're ready for a next step. And every one of us is ready for a next step in our walk. If you're ready to take that next step, they'll also talk to you about how that works on each of our campuses and online. Okay, right now, I'm gonna go ahead and pray, all right? If you would, please join me. Father God, thank you so much for this beautiful tapestry that you've made. 
for this beautiful story of God in us. Thank you, God, for just sending your son, for thinking that we're worthy of that price. That's amazing to me, God. God, help us to recognize every blessing we have in our life for what it is, that all good things come from you. Father God, thank you so much for your son, Jesus. Thank you also for that gifting of the Holy Spirit so that we have your presence in our lives on a daily basis as we go about this walk, as we place ourselves at that intersection of Christ and culture, God. Thank you for the catalyst that you've placed inside of us to give us the words to speak. God, thank you so much for all of your blessings. God, I pray blessings on this, on this congregation throughout this week as they go out in the mission field. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Thank you.